0: Welcome to this socially distance episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me as always, but today from an appropriate, healthy distance, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura.
1: Hello, Laura. And that appropriate distance is about eight miles? Yeah, seven? Yeah, no, we
0: are. So seven miles? Today, <laughs> when historians dig this up, today is March 23rd, 2020. Uh, we are in our own homes today. We are calling each other for this episode. Uh, we'll see how that goes. You never know. Um, but, yeah, we are, <laughs> we are in isolation, as I assume... Um, because all of our listeners are, of course, incredibly responsible people who care about their neighbors. They are also in isolation, so maybe we can maybe we can just all vibe together <laughs> on a podcast like this. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk obviously about that about how what a pandemic is doing to publishing. We're going to talk about that a little bit because it's. I mean, we don't really know yet, but it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens and what it's uh, doing talk- to your
1: wonderful hosts.
0: We're going to talk a lot About our wonderful hosts Um, We're going to do all sorts of things like that But before we get to any of that How about the basic rundown, please?
1: Yes, um, so we're in a pandemic, which means <laughs>
0: that's step one of the rundown. <laughs> that's step
1: one of the rundown, um, meaning that we don't have any special episodes out yet, but we have one whole week to get them out. So we will yeah. be recording them on Friday, also socially distant. So if you like yep. the sound of this one, definitely subscribe to Patreon.
0: Look, I work from home. <laughs> I'm a social. I'm a social distance king. I've been social distancing since before I needed to.
1: That's true, uh, although your wife is a doctor. Um, yeah. So well. before you need, who knows? Uh, but yes, so those will be on Patreon. If you would like to get to know your fellow authors while you are socially distant and you cannot handle Twitter for one more minute, you can join our forum where people mm-hmm. are chit-chatting away in very productive and positive ways. Sure. Um, yep. And in addition, if you want to support us in this crazy time, or um, support the forum as we're as we're trying to keep it, you can send us money on. Co-fi. so you can buy us a coffee that we have to go in get immediately, and we can't serve ourselves, and then go oh, out. I
0: will not be. Is that a thing that people? Are, can people still get coffee right now?
1: Yeah, you. I mean, like you can go into like Caribou or something, but you can't sit wow. down and you just walk oh, in, you I, get it, and you take no, it. Take no, no, no.
0: I would never do such a thing.
1: <laughs> well, you can you can start building up the coffee fund when we are able to have the self serve Super coffee from the gas station again.
0: Yeah, someday.
1: That's yeah. That's the end of the announcements.
0: <laughs> well, so we so we weren't on last week. So basically, the last time we recorded an episode, we
1: we're live in front of people, which is <laughs> we really were li- funny. Oh,
0: that's oh wow, that is true. The last <laughs> one was was the live show. So you and I haven't sat here and recorded in a while. So the last one was with Eric Smith, which yeah. I guess we should recap that for a second. That was a blast, huh? We had a it, good was. Time it was. It yeah.
1: the, was the most people I've been around in ages. In, and...
0: like, I know. That was it's a very large gathering for a social distancer like myself. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was really fun. We were obviously glad to have Eric in town and wish him well on the rest of his book tour. Um, all of that. It was great to have everyone. Like one thing, I was really, like, I guess it it was a little bit of a dream to fill a bookstore for people to have an event with. Like, that felt really, I don't know, I came away from that (laughs) feeling really good and really bolstered by not only who's listening to this show, but, like, the community we're building. Like, I just, I had a really good time, and I thank everyone who came out. I think anyone who listened to the show after, and um, I don't know, it was just it was good vibes, and little did we know how much we needed the good vibes headed into where we are now, huh?
1: Yeah. Now no one will be in a bookstore for for quite a while. I think. Well, we're going
0: to talk about that. We sure are, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so I guess to me the place to start with this, and this is something I, you know, I think you and I have been having versions of this conversation with basically everyone, everyone we know, but specifically everyone in books that we know, which is to ask, like, how is this affecting your work? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, not just so that no one thinks we're being callous, obviously the first thing to worry about in a pandemic or something like this is, like, safety and well-being and health and community health and all that kind of stuff, but this is a show about the book industry, so we are going to talk about it in terms of the book industry just a little bit, um... And so, like, my question to you, Laura, as we get started is, and I'll answer it to myself, is, like, how is this, how has this affected you? Like, how, like, what would you say on a work level? Like, what do you see changing? How have you had to adjust? Anything like that? Mm.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, let's start, let's start personal and then kind of fan out a little bit. Um, So you and I are actually in. A very strange position because we're in publishing remotely, meaning that we don't have we don't live in New York. Um, both of us, you a little bit longer than me, work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been unintentionally like social distancing for the past two months because, as you've all probably heard, um, my husband essentially shattered his ankle on the ice at the end of January. So we've basically been stuck at home for two months. So in some ways, I'm very head of everybody with the being can find at home, but in other ways that kind of makes it worse. Um, And so the big thing is like, honestly, my day-to-day responsibilities have not deeply shifted, but what has is kind of my, my response to them. So I think, I think it's pretty safe to say, Eric, that I am incredibly anxious and not able to focus at all. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, I mean, and I'm still like getting work done, but I've, I've changed my conception of what a successful workday looks like. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm looking at it like it's a, it's a re I did a really good job if I can get, you know, four or five productive work hours in, um, sure. whereas before, you know, you know, work in that solid eight. Right. Cause you, you know, you got to kill the eat, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and now I think, and we've had this conversation offline a little bit, but my main goal with all of this is not to like use this time to catch up or, you right. know, do this big project or, you know, continue as usual. Like my main goal out of all of this is to just not exit this pandemic being burnt out.
0: Well, so that's an, such an interesting – yes, I think that's a good idea and a good I – mean, it's not an idea, it's an approach to your work for the next however long. But, like, we should spend a second on that, that phenomenon you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is one I think we're seeing a lot of, which is, like, people, whether they're really across – and this is why it's such an interesting problem for publishing, honestly, or at least people – certain sectors of publishing – And I think sometimes people forget that publishing involves, like, warehouses and printing books and things like that that actually do involve, like, manual labor and physical space and, like, things that are really getting shut down right now. But, like, it's – you're seeing this phenomenon of anyone who kind of works a publishing desk job, right, Mm -hmm. whether it's um, agents like us, whether it's writers, whether it's editors – There's been, a, at least early on, I think before the severity really hit and it's going to continue to hit, you've seen people talk about this stuff as though it's like, not to be callous, but you see people talking about it like it's a snow day, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, well, this is just going to mean I have all this time to do, you know, I'm going to be able to catch up on reading, I'm going to be able to do subs, this is how I'm going to get, like you said, you know, and I just...
1: I've not looked at a single sub since all of this started. (laughs) And I just,
0: I, I see that, and on the one hand, I think that it's obviously a good, productive, positive attitude to have towards something like this. And I think in some respect, I am interested in it for my own life, at least as a means of, like, you know, you have to do something, you know, you have to do something to stay focused. Like, a big thing for me this week, like, I had kind of a hard week this last week, I mean, my... Uh, you know, my wife works in healthcare that has been a very stressful thing to think about. And obviously many people, it, it, I mean, it's, you know, you know, I was preoccupied last week is my point, but like, as I enter this new week, you know, the impulse has been to like, okay, it's time to, you know, to be the success win guy to like, take the fact that, you know, we're all just sitting at home and really make it about reading, make it about, you know, getting everything done. And something about that also feels a little bit hollow to me in a way I can't quite place, you know.
1: So I've been thinking about that, um, yeah. and we've we've spoken a lot before in in you know mostly frustrated tones about how publishing is so performative. Like the there's the yeah. there's the performative yes. overwork, and then there's the yeah. performative success. And so, like when you're given a situation. Where people either have a ton of time because they've lost their jobs and they're not getting paid, um, or people are having to carry on as usual, and there's there's kind of a different sort of pressure. Where now it's like a weird combination of I'm so busy and I'm so successful, and I don't think any of it is true. And like if you add and you yeah. add to that yeah. the all the people in New York who haven't who've been told their entire careers that there is no way that publishing could ever move beyond New York
0: Oh, that's a real and, monster we're going to get into. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like there's there's no way that you can do this and all of a sudden they're all working remotely just like you and I have been doing for years <laughs> yeah. and how most of the people el- yeah. elsewhere in the country have been doing for years. Yeah. And so if you add to that there's this there's this constant like See like everything is the same. Everything is totally the same because in some yeah. way, I don't know, like Eric I, I get kind of get the feeling that like in some way, there's like that language is is trying to communicate that this is just a stopgap measure, not as you know, when we come out of this, people will get to say, yeah, so now you can't have a job that's in house only because. Because we sh- you've shown that you can do this yeah. job remotely,
0: that's so that is, and I just I feel I think that's a great point. First of all, and I think that it also speaks to a phenomenon that actually affects one of the other things we're going to talk about in a little bit. That this, and again, I I just feel the need every time we get into like the X's and O's of what this might mean for the industry. Like my head just isn't there right now, and so I want to preface everything with like. Obviously, there are more bigger societal human concerns than, you know, what we're talking. So but like since we're getting into it and we are like we are seeing that, you know, a giant paradigm shift like this is going to reveal some things about the industry that it didn't necessarily want to have revealed, you know. And one of those things, I think, is that, hey, actually, a lot of us can do most of these jobs remotely. You know what I mean? Like we actually do not need the centralization and now that we don't have it. It's, um, you know, like, we may not need to go back because there's going to be all this precedent for people getting things done away. Like, I just remember, like, when I was in-house and I was an editorial assistant, you know, one of the things, the older... And this was at Oxford University Press. And, you know, it's kind of an older institution. You know, it's kind of a... It's one of those places where the editors are, like, almost all, like, a generation older, you know? And they were constantly... Like if they got, if they were given an inch on work from home one day, you wouldn't see them for like the next, you you know what I'm talking about? Like, because they would prove it. They would say, oh, look, I can do this job from here. And guess what? Now I'm going to. And which, you know, I mean, respect to that, but you're also seeing that all of a sudden everyone I think is going to be able to, and not everyone, but lots of people are going to be able to pull a version of that or at least that truth is going to be out there. You know what I mean? Do, and- you,
1: do you think, Eric, that publishing may point to like lower sales or like fewer books broken out during this as a reason to point to the work from home and say, see, this didn't work. You have to be back in house.
0: Yeah, I do. And I think that's because, and I, but not because there's going to be any sort of sophisticated reason behind it beyond just anytime, anytime things on an industry go bad, what's the first place we point? We point to the workers, right? We say like we have to, they're the ones who always have to quote unquote shape up, you know, and that I think will be, there will be a response to that. And we should actually talk like, you know, in a minute. Like, do you think sales are going to be up or down? I mean, obviously, I think they're going to go. Like, there's, you know, in-person bookstore visits are obviously going to plummet during this stretch. Um, hopefully, they do. Uh, I guess we're going to talk about that too. But like, it's you're right. It's just such a it's such an interesting time of flux. Yeah. I, I just don't. Yeah.
1: yeah. I had a I had a call with one of my authors this morning, and um, she she has a book out in the next couple of months, but <laughs> it's digital right like it is it is a digital first release um and so we actually had a conversation about how that has kind of put her in a better position than most anybody at this point trying to launch a book because um it's it's going to be the only way to to get books out there without the, the the supply chain that's been interrupted right and um and what's yeah i don't it's hard to to make guesses of what's really going to happen because in terms of sales and success overall in mm-hmm. for publishers, I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about bookstores because that's a whole different thing. right. Um, but for publishers, you you have the potential for much greater sales because you have a huge number of people who have more time on their hands to spend yep. alone reading a book. However,
0: that's such an interesting. Yeah, the audience is there. The audience is primed how, and ready.
1: However, you also have a lot of these people who no longer have money to play with. Yeah,
0: that's
1: and so true too. You, you know, and you can kind of look at that hedging bets by and and to tie in another thing that happened this week, Macmillan um, rolled back their their um, library embargo policy. So we've talked okay, so, about this but, before. Well, but let's
0: talk about this catch us up on that again yep
1: yep yep okay so um mcmillan has been doing a test and then implemented a rule where for the first six months of a book's life a library system can only purchase one copy or i think it's one copy at a certain rate and a second copy at another rate but basically they're they're making it impossible for libraries to get ebooks for the first six months that it's been out and they've they 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 rolled this out with tor books which is science fiction and fantasy um and then they rolled it out with all of their all of their books and then when um the the quarantines kind of hit they rolled it back saying just kidding libraries you can actually like we're not we're just going back to the old um the old financial system where you know you pay x number amount for a certain number of of rentals of this ebook and we have ways for for you to buy more of our books to help service your service your authors and I think the reason for that is because they realized oh wait tons of people who buy our books don't have jobs anymore and they can't buy them and we're not having them available to the libraries who are closing their physical locations, but still right. many of them have, have online like right. online, like rent it from home from, from your app on your phone. Um, and so now they're going, Oh wait, actually you are a good business decision for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, you know, there's something, and we were critical of that policy when it came out too, as we, it's not like we were the only ones, everybody it feels like most people, most progressive minded people in books, were upset that Macmillan was trying that with you know library ebooks and stuff, but like it sort of speaks to this principle that I, have, I you know applies more broadly to you know things that aren't publishing, but certainly applies here, which is that if your policy doesn't work or is like not friendly or is not very humane or whatever it is, like it's not very you know person forward. You know, under times of duress like this, it probably wasn't anyway before then. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, you see this with like a lot of like, you know, political conversations happening right now where it's like, you know, suddenly, you know, people are talking about, you know, maybe, you know, they're talking, I'll see what gets she gets done, but like, you know, programs that might actually help people who are dealing with. You know, suddenly, you know, losing their jobs or evictions or, you know, any sorts of else, you know, any sort of other problem that's, you know, occurring because of this pandemic. And like we're coming to we're treating these measures like they're so extreme. But the underlying truth of it is that, like, you know, before, you know, before this virus, there were people experiencing lots and lots and lots and lots of people experiencing that stuff already anyway and probably we should have been coming up with plans to help them before even this you know what i mean and i think the same is kind of true here where it's just like your if your program doesn't make sense under a time of stress it probably you know you're still alienating people who were just a little bit less visible during you know a time of supposed (laughs) normalcy it's just it's just a matter of what's on your radar you know what i mean and so i don't know i mean i think that You know, obviously, you know, there's going to be, hopefully, and this is something we should talk about too, like a, I think that we're going to need libraries more than ever right now in some form, right? Like, you know, because, and this kind of gets at, you know, another big conversation we've been watching happen lately, right? Like about um, bookstores and about, you know, we've seen them, um, I don't know, we've seen them shut down. We've seen them lay people off, you know, with the promise to rehire when this is over. Because, I mean, most, you know, I mean, we know this. Like, most bookstores, they don't operate with huge margins, you know what I mean? Like, they can't. If they're not open,
1: they can't pay for two weeks of sick leave. There's
0: there's all sorts of, you know, there's all sorts of things, you know, happening, you know. But, you know, it kind of gets at that question of... Whether or not, you know, we're going to talk in a minute about whether or not these things are, you know, should be considered essential services or whatever. But um, it does, whatever the answer to that question is, it does mean that, you know, people like a digital library, right? Like being able to get an ebook from a library is something that is all the more important for us to be able to do. And so it's like we have to be able to, you know, we have to put that emphasis there and we have to be willing to see the value in that institution. And we probably should have seen the value in that institution before now. You know what I mean? (laughs) So,
1: so speaking of values and institutions, you hinted at it just a minute ago. Let's, let's talk about bookstores. Um, So libraries are closed in our great state of Minnesota, um, or at least in our counties. And um, they're like, we, we have, I'm guessing our shelter in place is going to come down this week like it's either this week or next week it's definitely happening there have been reports in minnesota for example that our number which is in the low 200s can be 10 is like the real number is 10 to 100 times as high um which is not anxiety inducing or scary at all um but there there have been kind of no decisions yet from from mm-hmm. like our government of yeah. what essential services look like. So we've been able to reclassify um like grocery store workers grocery for example workers. as yep. as essential but kind of the 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 wiggly bits on the edges. Like liquor stores, bookstores, um you know, at what point do we draw the line at a hardware store or mechanic right. or something like that? Right. Like what what does that look like? Um, And so we've we've seen a lot of call from from local from local book people asking, you know, to call our government and say that bookstores are essential. Um, So let's let's talk about that for a minute, Um, because I think I think the way that a lot of book people are are explaining their belief in that bookstores are essential in a time like this um, is very much focused around um well if they're not open they're going to close and then we're going to do irreparable damage to our our book landscape once yeah. uh, once everything's over i yeah. think that that is an insufficient and bad reason um, to say the least to, yes. to, yeah because like okay great like that's that's you know that's the small business version of of the airlines asking for a bailout after a week. Um, well, it's
0: the small, it's the smaller, granular version of what we're seeing the discourse say now. with a lot of conservatives or like you know, kind of you know, wealthier capitalist type people, you know, saying, "Oh, well, we got to get the workforce back, you know, in functioning in the next couple of weeks, or else." And who cares who how many people that puts at risk? Who cares? Right. You know, because they only see this stuff in terms of. You know, I right. mean, finances, you know, in terms of like the, you know, their version of the economy.
1: But and, what I what I think and, and that's that's true. But what I think is an actually like good argument for why bookstores should be essential is because we fucking need to read. Like, yeah, like, sure. I think I think that in in this time, like the economic argument is actually the bad one. I think the cultural argument is the good one. It's the strong one.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I, I agree with that. And I think like, for me, when I first saw people start it, like I saw even, you know, a couple people do the, it was kind of a low hanging fruit, right? They were like, Oh, I see liquor stores should be considered essential, but not bookstores. I see where your cultural priorities mm-hmm. are. And it's like, it's like, well, okay, well let's unpack that for a second. Right. I mean, they, because, you know, I mean, you need a liquor store open because, you know, people, you know, withdrawal symptoms, you know, you can end up crowding ERs, and withdrawal stuff will, you know, affect people domestically, all this kind you can make a societal argument for people's health and safety, you know, you know what I mean? Leaving the liquor stores
1: open. Right,
0: I really think you can, and in a way that you, I don't think you can make the same sort of, like, nuts and bolts, like, social cohesion (laughs) argument around a bookstore, you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, I think, like, you know so but then the way so it felt when we originally brought up this topic to talk about i felt like we were kind of on sharply different sides because i i'm firmly in the camp that at least in that in that sort of conception that bookstores are not essentially are should not be essential in the way that like a grocery store is essential or in the way that you know any of these other like very specific you know lower you know, like, if you think about, like, Maslow's, like, hierarchy of needs, like, you know, there are things lower on the pyramid than reading a book, you know what I mean? And it's, but...
1: That being to, said... That
0: being said, that being said, I think that there is a way to, you know, people do need to read, but there, then there's a way to disperse these materials, you know, in In ways a way that supports
1: that, small businesses, in a way that keeps money Without local. requiring
0: physical congregation, without right. requiring... Any, you know what I mean? So like, sure. I mean, I think that in that way, like, yeah, there's, there's plenty of ways we could go about. I almost wonder if like the essential versus non-essential question, you know, sort of floats away in face of what could be a different question, which is how can we, and this is a question we're all asking ourselves. It's like, how can we continue to do these jobs without the same, you know, physical space? And And without access
1: to the things that normally take up our time.
0: Right. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. And, like, it is one, you know, from an industry perspective that will have interesting ramifications because the people who make the industry argument, you know, that you were mentioning, like, one other thing they're constantly talking about, and they're not necessarily wrong to do so, is that a big winner in in this is Amazon right now. Because However,
1: they're rolling it, back book sales. They're not prioritizing books.
0: Okay, so remember that point we made a few minutes ago about how this virus is going to show us things about the book industry that it didn't necessarily (laughs) love to have be revealed? Turns out, yeah. This is one of those things, which is that we are relying, our whole industry is built on a company that does not fundamentally care about us. Like. If you think about if you think
1: about why, okay, let's let's actually let's revisit that um, for the people that aren't super aware of how Amazon uses books to operate. So quick history lesson. Uh, Jeff Bezos decided to focus on like Amazon selling books because books don't expire. They're rectangular and they're easy to ship. Okay, that's it. That is literally it. This is they're not some sort of like. Object. Je- yeah. Jeff
0: and I agree about this. By the way, books are a great object. <laughs>
1: um, th- books are also most commonly sold on Amazon as a loss leader. Like they yep. they yep. they lose yep. money on selling books. Um, they are now kind of because they're they're operating as a retailer and a printer and a publisher and a bunch of other stuff that that landscape is changing a little bit. But what essentially they've done is because. Um, they focused on something that was easy to ship, they're they're completely like changing the book industry. And so mm-hmm. when you have something like this where bottles of hand sanitizer are being sold on Amazon for80 dollars a bottle or something like that, and they right. say that's not happening anymore, but you know whatever. Um, when, when that happens, like that is so much money. Amazon is making so much money from this. And then, of course that makes sense that they wouldn't do anything with books because they're going to lose money with that. And if there is right. stressors on the mail systems, there's stressors on the, the amount of people that work for this company and can deliver things to this company, of course, they're not going to prioritize the books.
0: Right. Yeah. No. They're I mean,
1: showing it's... us. They are showing us that they do not care.
0: No I mean and they're showing us what a small part of the overall operation we are you know what I mean like it's it's one of those things where like obviously like we're just the weight the like weight is just so skewed like we like we are a self-contained thing in and of ourselves like we are the book industry and our life and death matters quite a big deal to all of us within it but yeah. we matter less to the people we've entrusted our future to you know what I mean like and it's it's just, I mean, obviously this is a, to- a separate topic that we spent a lot of time on in other episodes and stuff, but like we are seeing here that it's like to loop us back to where we were. Like, I think there is a real like essential need to figure out some ways to, um, to kind of reroute things toward, you know, small businesses in a time when it is so easy and honestly, like more convenient than ever before to use amazon you know for things because no one's leaving the house like this is their in a lot of ways this is their dream like suddenly every like the whole i don't know it's it's just it's crazy to think about how that might play out
1: so this is really funny that we're saying this um because this afternoon i am getting a hand delivered package from, <laughs> from subtext books which is the bookstore that hosted us for print run live I say, two weeks ago
0: to subtext <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: We had a great time. (laughs) Buy books from Matt I
1: I used the phone and called and gave Matt my credit card number over the phone. And on -hmm. his way home today, he is going to be bringing me my order. You call. Um, Yeah, I used the phone. Somehow you
0: ordering. Somehow you. Ordering a puzzle over the phone from a local store is very funny to me. I don't know why that's so well, like it's very idyllic in its own way.
1: Well, so we were going to Eric, if you recall, you and I were going to do a puzzle exchange, and then yeah. and then and then yeah. coronavirus happened. Yeah. Um. And so we can no longer exchange puzzles. Yeah. Um, so now I have well, to buy to, a Frida Kahlo like, puzzle.
0: My last one, it sucks. Oh. Uh,
1: well, you should. I don't want to should... do it that
0: much. It's like a it's like a mountain scene. And I don't really care about it. Oh, it see, doesn't it doesn't instill joy in me.
1: I'm I'm almost done with I have this amazing like fantasy bookshelf where there's like a river that's oh coming down gosh, and then it's it like so there's like a better. waterfall yeah. and it's um it's like yeah. a, a big bookshelf and then there's like a nice comfy green armchair at the bottom. But so oh, I'm damn. almost done with that one. And so when I saw on social media this is a really interesting thing like follow your local um indie bookstores on social media because like what Matt's been doing is he's been posting um, they also mail shout out. So if you want to order from some, you know, order from subtext books in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, but he's been posting pictures of displays for online browsing. Mm-hmm. And so he posted a picture of like all these classic art puzzles. There was, you know, I think there was like a, a Van Gogh. There was like a Raphael yeah. there. was, yeah, yeah. And then like there's a Frida Kahlo um, self-portrait. And um, I saw that and I said, hey, I want that because I desperately need another puzzle. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there we go.
0: I think that puzzles are essential services. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Especially if bookstores are stocking them. Yeah. Um, Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Man.
1: So speak actually. um, So the reason I'm not ordering a book from Subtext and I instead ordered a puzzle is because I, I bought books from them not too long ago. In fact, two weeks ago, before we all became quarantined. So, Eric, mm, yeah. in this time of upheaval, what yes. <laughs> what are you reading?
0: So, there's a few answers to this. Uh, I'm reading a few different things right now. Um, the first annoying answer is that I'm reading a couple of submissions that I am, that is
1: an annoying answer. Uh,
0: it's a, it's an incredibly annoying answer. I don't even like myself, Laura, like (laughs) it's, but the thing of it is, is that I am, and they are good. So I'm, I'm doing that this week has been devoted to
1: that. I know you, you sent me one of your lists that I need to read.
0: Yeah. 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 But other than that, in terms of published books, I'm trying to think, I just read, um, I just read Danez Smith's new book of poems. Um, it's called homie. Um, and I have to say like, I read it. So I read it in one sitting. I read it over um yesterday. I read it on Sunday on my couch. It's a book of poems, so you can usually get through it. It went in like two or three hours or so. And I like you know, there I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about uh, their work, but like Dennette Smith is a is an amazing poet and one of the things they're um they write about in this book is just like there's just like, like a lot of joy in these poems. I mean there's a lot of lot there's a lot of lots of things in these poems. Like a lot of them are difficult, a lot of them but like there's just so much like joy in friendships and things like that in here. And, and like being outside, <laughs> I don't know. I found it weirdly moving to like sit and read this book that kind of celebrated the people in this poet's life um, in isolation. while we are all in isolation. Yeah. So I would actually like, and apart from any like isolation, specific effects, the poems are excellent on a political level, all sorts of other things too. So I really, I really do recommend uh, mm. that book. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I read. I started reading, um, I read Andrea Chu's Females, uh, which was interesting. I'm still chewing on that one. It's a very um, kind of provocative, interesting, you know, gender studies argument. Um, and then I read, you know, I've had kind of, honestly, Laura, I've had kind of hard luck this year. I started reading, like in terms of like really loving stuff. I haven't loved the finished book in a while. So, and I've been trying to be more adventurous. Like I read, um, I started reading the first half of the first volume of Alan Moore's Jerusalem.
1: Mm, I have which, I have an arc of that one.
0: Yeah, no, it's this, it's this big giant book and like people were calling it the modern day Ulysses and all this kind of stuff and I picked it up and I struggled struggled like through the first 200 or so pages it just kind of came away feeling like why am I doing this to myself? Like I don't have Life to, is like too no, short. I won't go to jail if I don't read this book. Like yeah, I can just set it down. And so i I think I did set it down. And I don't think I'm gonna pick it back up to be honest. Mm. Um, but so that that's my reading where what are you doing?
1: so um i've I've actually had a really hard time reading um, yeah. ma- mostly I think because like I'm at a stage with my work where I am fine like putting the finishing touches on a lot of projects that i'm I'm hoping to get out right. on submission. so right. I just like. You know, I finished the day and I'm like, oh, I don't want to read anymore. Yep. Um, but I've needed I, I stopped and started a lot of kind of chewier books, books that are a little bit more um, like difficult. And I and the only one that I've seen to be able to get through is um, Kill the Farm Boy by, by Delilah Dawson and Kevin Hearn. Um, and it's like this very like silly kind of. Um, Christopher Moore-esque fantasy, like D&D trope kind of book. Um, So that seems to be the only one that I'm able to get through, but I'm almost done with it. But the other week um, when I was still able to go into bookstores and browse, I picked up the new Natasha Pulley book, which is, um, and I've really loved her writing in the past. Watchmaker of Filigree Street is excellent and surprisingly gay. Um. Okay. And so this this new book, I I didn't love her second one. I liked it, but I didn't love the Bedlam Stacks, which is unrelated to um, the Watchmaker of Filigree Street. But this new one that can, comes out, it's a um maybe maybe a sequel, maybe a companion. It 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 takes place several years later, but kind of revisits those characters. And so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I think maybe by the weekend, I'll like. I'll be in the spot to to get to it. You know, I'll maybe have finished my puzzle. I'll have, you know, I'll finally have the hopefully we'll have the the order in place where there's not the like, well, is it going to be a a shelter in place? Is it not? And once I'm like officially told, like everybody's sheltering, then I can just like become a become a full time hermit and not have to worry about anything else and just like sit into it and focus. So we'll see. Have you
0: found, so that's like, this has been kind of a meandering conversation, but like returning now to one of our first topics here, like the question of focus, Mm -hmm. how like, and this kind of gets back to that like performative productivity thing we often talk about, Mm -hmm. which is like, theoretically, there's a lot about this situation that should lend itself to focus, right? Like suddenly all (laughs) our social, all our social obligations are canceled. All this different stuff is going on. Like, what a great time to sit and work. <laughs> and I am finding that to be not true at all. Absolutely I'm a very, untrue. I'm having a, I'm having a very hard time. And like, what's especially stupid about that for me is like, this is what my life looks like all the time. <laughs> like I work for, like I work from home. I am in my, I, and like, it's weird because, you know, like my wife works at a hospital and she's like, so she's still going to her job and I'm still going to my, like, it's like nothing has totally changed. Like in terms of my, like a lot of people, you hear people, um, describing, you know, having their children home all of a sudden, or like having both spouses, you know, in the same, you know, studio apartment or whatever, lots of very challenging things. And it's like, I am not, you know, very fortunate to not be dealing with some of these like strange new disruptions, but I, for whatever reason, like, just, it's, it's very difficult to, like, sit and think about the minutiae of an edit or something well, when the world is, ending. Well, there, <laughs> like, I just have, I, I'm having a hard time, like, I have to tell you.
1: I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, like, essentially, you know, we're, we're watching a slow motion car crash for our yeah. entire communities. And as, and as somebody, I think, that is community minded, and is is, you know, has people in their lives who are at high risk for something like this or yeah. people like literally everybody in my immediate family is either completely out of work now or yeah. they're immunocompromised. Yeah. And um and maybe out of work. Um and so like that is it's 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 really stressful. And it is again like it's hard when the world is is giving space to kind of processing all of this and keeping up with it and making sure that people, you know, things are changing day to day. And so it's hard to like sit down at at your desk and say like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to edit this right now. Um, And so like, honestly, I yeah, that's that's I think where like the burnout is going to come from. It's just like the constant dread and awareness and anxiety and it's not because I'm going to be working too much. It's no, going to be not. because yeah. like nothing gave, right? And so when I yeah. talk about like my my effort to avoid burnout, it's something is something has to something's has to give it has to give and yeah. Nothing outside my house <laughs> is uh is giving me any relief. So right. it's it's gotta be one of those things where it's like now if I can do, you know, however many hours of of focused work, that's mm-hmm. that's enough. And so I've been you using you like get, you yeah, yeah. And and like you're you're gentle with it because the world is not the same. Like the conditions are not the same, even though on the surface your condition and my condition is the same. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been doing a lot of like the the Pomodoro method. Like I have an app where what it's, is like, the Pomodoro? Yeah. So method? it's great. Um, what is so, it even
0: for? Like I don't even. Understand it's a productivity
1: the thing. So oh. you, it's...
0: this sounds like the sort of thing I would like <laughs> die to eliminate.
1: So you you work focused concentrated for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break and then mm. you do that four times and at the end of four times then you get a 30 minute break. And, um, like, honestly, I, I've never made it to the fourth one. I've only ever made it to, like, three and a half. And then I, like, do something or get distracted or my workday changes or something like that. Right. But, like, right. it does, you know, it's a lot easier, you know, when you're constantly rechecking the news, right? Yeah. Or you're waiting yeah. for, like, um, a, like a, a press you know a, a, a press briefing or something like that it's yeah. a lot easier to say okay i'm gonna put my head down for 25 minutes and then i can have five minutes to panic than mm-hmm. just to kind of like muddle through generally so that's literally the only thing that's helped yeah. um yeah but
0: no that makes sense yeah. i mean one thing that i, I i'll say like maybe like to get into the publishing a little bit more here. Like, I've had multiple conversations over the, because, you know, I work on mostly politics books, right? Mostly things that are, um, you know, nonfiction, political, you know, that kind of, you know, cultural mm-hmm. criticism, that kind of stuff. And I've had a few different conversations, you know, with authors who I am, I mean, obviously with those with books coming out who are like, well, hey, what's, you know, what's going to happen, you know, are we going to still have the same sort of publicity lead up? Are we going to be able to do that kind of stuff? And that's been difficult to kind of try to work through. But also, but also, I'm having conversations at an upfront editorial stage as we get proposals ready to go and stuff where it's like, hey, is anything I'm writing here still going to be relevant now that all of this has changed? And like, I've had to, like, the answer to that is, you know, we'll see, and like we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna have conversations with editors about these projects, you know, and I think that it's gonna go fine because, I guess may, because, and this is a this is a big point that I want to make. I think um, so much of this year's publishing decisions, especially in nonfiction, like I can't I can't tell you how many conversations over the last year and early this one, mostly late last year, or sorry, like maybe starting last summer into now every single person every single editor i talked to every single author i talked to writing this kind of stuff had one thing on their mind with regard to when and how their book should be published and that was the election right like they wanted is this an election book is it not an election book you know you talk to editors and they say well you know we're trying to acquire you know we don't want to acquire something like this in the lead up to the election we don't want we would need to push this out like the election of 2020 was going to be the central date on the publishing calendar around which so many different types of projects and books were going to be calculated around. Right. And, and now we will. So, well, so, <laughs> well, so let, let me, yeah. And like, I hated that one, because I like to give readers more credit. I like to give writers more credit and I like to give publishers more credit about like, we can talk about other things, right? Like all anyone ever talks about is how much they hate hearing about the election. Great. Let's publish something else. You know what I mean? Like And <laughs> Like it should work, but like that self defeating logic oh, well, we don't want to publish it then because everyone's going to be thinking about the election. One thing that this particular catastrophe we're seeing now has sort of underscored is that that sort of simplistic futuristic thinking is so totally shallow and it doesn't because you never know what's going to come up, right? Like something else has come up. Do you think, like, I, I would love to go back and talk to every, every editor every, you know, writer, every person I was talking to over the last year about how they were seeing fall 2020 and spring 2021 in terms of their calendars and say, do you still think that this one thing is going to totally change the entire publishing calendar for a full year? And I bet you that the answer is from a lot of them would really change because now the whole landscape has shifted. And it's, and obviously no one, you know, in publishing anyway was predicting, oh, we're going to have coronavirus and so now we can't publish this and that. But the point is that stuff happens, you know what I mean? And stuff always happens. And things come up and they and like, so I just, I wonder if one of the other things that might get revealed in this moment of publishing is that this sort of simplistic future forecasting as a means, especially of limiting one's own acquisitional imagination, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, well, we can't, we can't do that book because of this murky thing on the calendar. It's like that is that reason isn't good enough because those reasons can shift so fast as they just have, you know what I mean? Like, and so, I'm having conversations with authors now and they sound exactly like the election conversations, except it's a different topic. It's, Oh, you know, do I need to work in a chapter about the virus? Do I need to work in a Do I need to change my pitch or my angle, you know, based on this new giant all consuming reality we're all experiencing. And again, the answer might be yes to that. But what the answer definitely is is that we need to quit reacting so much to things that haven't even like we pick these arbitrary things and, as like points of emphasis and focus. And we all disagree. Oh, the only thing that anyone is going to be thinking about, you know, from now for the next 12 months is the election when really that's just because that's the only thing we are currently aware of Mm. doesn't mean that we shouldn't just abide by the principle that things are going to happen and things are going to develop and like culture is going to occur. You know what I mean? Like, I just—I think that there's some, there's a certain thing here happening where we can get out of that sort of simplistic calendar-based publishing, and it's—hopefully that happens. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how—I mean, obviously, as I come out with my next wave of political stuff this spring, you know, I'm interested to see what kind of conversations I have, um, but— it's, I don't know, it's an interesting question. And I think like we all have to kind of learn something, you know, if there's anything to focus on during this time to keep us all sane, it's what can we learn about our industry? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and that I think is something we could all learn.
1: See my, my approach to changing the, the conversation is like, I don't really think that any of this is deeply going to touch like romance, for example, except I think that in the next six months to a year we're gonna be seeing a lot more um like there's only we're stuck in here and there's only one bed like there's (laughs) like there's gonna be a lot of like cruise books there's gonna be a lot of books that are that are like taking this thing that's gonna be really difficult for a lot of people and is turning it into escapism but what's gonna be really interesting i think is science fiction and fantasy um because you've got the people on one end who are like Give me all of your apocalyptic fiction right now. Like, give me some like scary bugs. Okay, so what do you think like, of whatever. that? What
0: do you think of that? Because I hate that to be honest. Like, <laughs> I when people are like, "Oh, here's the thing happening," hashtag MSWL. Like, that makes me crazy, and it feels to me like, I mean, yeah, maybe there's a window here where people are interested in that, but like, I, I, I think th- that <laughs> this stuff should exist on a more firm ground. I mean, there's, that, you know? I
1: think that there's something to be said. Um I'm not one of these people, but I think that there's something to be said about the the very human inclination to see something present a lot of it's it's the same thing with the with the cruise or the only one bed kind of yeah. thing where it's like yeah. you see something that's presenting anxiety and stress and problems in real life mm-hmm. and then you, there's like there's there's some sort of satisfaction or you know kind of anxiety um reduction when you take that to the furthest thought experiment that it can go right you can make
0: it your work about it in a way that feels controlling
1: Right. And yeah. and like there's something there's something that's interesting about reading that, because, again, like if you think about it, it's not people aren't reading these books for necessarily the situation. They're reading these books of people doing extraordinary things and making an impact on an impossible situation. Right. Um, and so like there are going to be some people who right now are like, give me all of that. And then there's going to be people Um, who are very much going to be like, give me something silly and light. And so I'm guessing that like in, in terms of acquisitions, you know, I think that'll even out, but it'll make for a really funny fall 21, spring 22 season. (laughs) Be, yeah. because it's gonna be just like here are the pandemic books, and right. like, and like, I just and it, it's I find not that, that people... to be
0: incoherent in some way. Like, I don't know.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit clearer to be either a, a control or escapism when you, yeah. when you add so much fantasy or so much science fiction right. on top of it. Like, it'd be different. Right. And like to be clear, what I, I'm not talking about books written in response to coronavirus i am talking specifically about books that already existed yes
0: i think that's a crucial distinction and are being
1: acquired because that's just where people's heads are at so like (laughs) there was an author on yeah. yeah there was an author on twitter today and and he um he has a kind of a an apocalyptic book right and he got this nasty gram from somebody today his book just came out saying, like, how can you be profiting off of this? Do you think this is funny? Like, I have people who are um, <laughs> who are like at like in danger from this virus and you're just like writing about it. And it's like, dude, that book was written like four years ago. Um, and it's just like, again, people taking taking these ideas, these anxiety inducing ideas to their logical endpoint, writing, writing a writing a book about them. And then it's like there's always end of the world things. There's always zombies. There's always, you know, whatever. And it's just gonna be interesting to see where how how stark the split is going to be.
0: Yeah. Totally. When
1: when these books being acquired now are 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 published. Because I think that mm. there's you're gonna you know there's two types of people. There's the people who want it and the people that don't. And those people are acquiring books.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. I think that's I think that's a good forecast and a good take on it. I mean, yeah. we'll see what happens. It's it's. I just want whatever anyone's individual strategy is, or whatever individual imprint they decide. Okay, here's how we're going to respond to this. I want it to be based on like some thinking that gets below what we typically see as like very surface level stuff. You know what I mean? Like I think, as you point out, like there's a critical distinction between saying, "Oh, I want a coronavirus book," and, and instead saying, "Okay." what apocalyptic fiction has already been written that was not actually inspired by this, that we could theoretically, you know,
1: I don't even know if it's that, that like conscious, there's just like, you know, people get in moods for different things and that extends, yeah, that extends to people acquiring. And it's just like some people right now are going to be like, absolutely not. And some people are going to be interested. And so I think there are going to be conversations and, and Ed board meetings. Where people are yeah. going, you know, okay, let's take advantage of this. But, like, again, publishing is slow. We're going to be two years late if people are acquiring those types of books now, except for just authentically wanting them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, I I – let's – um
0: that's let's cap as good it there. A place as any, huh? eh, yeah,
1: you know it's it's harder it's harder to like figure out when to end when we're not sitting across not from staring. one another.
0: You, so what you guys should understand this is a little peek behind the curtain here. Um, usually I'm making all sorts of wild hand gestures at Laura mm-hmm. while we record, um, and yeah. one of those is that we you know I've got a wrap little, it up. I've got a little wrap it up gesture um, that lets us seamlessly slide into. A transition toward the end um, pleasing both listeners and critics alike Um, I would like to note
1: that we are FaceTiming (laughs) right now Um, and Eric specifically asked he's like well can I can I see you like because my the the iPad was facing up at the ceiling because I'm just using it to, to rip the audio and he, I was like, yeah, fine. So I like set it up so he can see me. And he spent this yep. entire episode walking around with his palm over the camera. <laughs> I
0: did. I started pacing because that's what I do. With my phone.
1: Yeah. So um, so he wanted to see me and then refused to look at me. And all I've seen is his lifeline on his palm, which I'm looking at right now. Anyway, that's what a, um, metaphor. What a metaphor. What a beautiful
0: metaphor. Thank well, you. I'm so glad I did that for you. <laughs>
1: anyway thank you all for joining us in this zany zany time um now we are all remote like all of you so you know and again i as as people's needs change throughout this this difficult situation we kind of want to adjust to that so if there's anything specific that you need from our patreon episodes or that you would like for us to feature in our regular episodes um let us know also if you are a writer who is suddenly out of work you can't afford our special patreon episodes and you are finding yourself motivated to get your work out there but you can't afford it send us an email we'll give you access anyway yeah um and that's that's not just for coronavirus that's just for always so we've been
0: doing that for always like if you need help we can get you in there Yeah.
1: yeah if you need and you know like if you can afford to you know, bump us a little extra or whatever to to you know help support the people who who can't. Um, great, but don't feel obligated. Uh, yeah, just send us an email. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail dot com. Get some access. We have days of content at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, people have found them to be useful. I don't know, but okay. Uh, so I'm seeing. The top of Eric's head. That's right. Baby. <laughs> which which I think is the new wrap it up single Signal. That's right. Right. Okay. So we're wrapping it up. Thank you so much for joining us on this socially distanced episode of Print Run. And we will see you for a regular episode, also socially distanced, next week.
0: All right. See you guys.